Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison, also known as Jew in the City. I haven't done this many times on the history of the show, and we must be up to several seasons by now. I've kind of lost count, um, but today it's actually going to be just me. Uh, usually we have guests, almost always we have guests. And the interesting thing about doing anything is that everyone has an opinion. So sometimes I am told that I talk too much. Sometimes I am told that I talk not enough, but today it will be just me. And the truth is that um, it's kind of an exciting thing for me to announce here, to talk about to our audience here. Um, I met someone a number of years ago who knew that there was this podcast, Jew in the City Speaks, and they had no idea that we're a nonprofit called Jew in the City. And so I think it's good every so often to remind our listeners that this podcast is not a standalone. It's part of a larger uh, organization, part of a larger nonprofit that has a media branch uh, that has called Keter, um, and it has a branch called Makom, and it has a branch called Tikkun. Um, and our organization's mission is to change negative perceptions of Orthodox Jews. So our Keter branch to restore the uh, the crown of the good name of the Orthodox community mostly uses media. Uh, for years, we've been creating original content to show the positive sides of the Orthodox community, to show um, how we handle challenging Torah sources, challenging laws, uh, challenging theological concepts. Um, we're finding ourselves in war right now with what's going on in Ukraine. How do we come to terms with a God um, who allows so many atrocities on this planet? Um, and we show how ancient Jewish wisdom is relevant for modern times, that uh, being an Orthodox Jew doesn't mean that you're relegated into the dustbins of history, but that um, these teachings and this wisdom actually bring meaning and direction and a framework for a really confusing world. Um, that's what we do over at Keter. Our Makom branch, and we've talked about it here before, um, helps people that had negative experiences in the community. Uh, we've dealt with hundreds of members throughout our six plus years existing. Um, and what we've seen in basically all cases is that these are stories of dysfunction, stories of abuse. And my understanding on the topic of dysfunction is more nuanced than it used to be. Um, there are plenty of families that are trying hard, that are loving, that are well-meaning, but dysfunctional patterns are so embedded into the family based on generations of dysfunction and probably stemming back originally from different types of trauma from systemic geo-hatred throughout the millennia um, that uh, dysfunctional patterns got into these families. And so uh, what we're seeing from our Mako members is that when people grow up with family dysfunction and particularly abuse, um, it makes life, all life, not feel like you want to be a part of who you are, where you're from. And if you're a religious Jew, then that's the identity that you want to let go of. Um, and then our third branch, um, and so what we do, so I'll just go back for a second at Makom, is we help people separate the abuse and the dysfunction from actual Judaism, which is meant to be nuanced, is meant to be profound, is meant to be based on kindness, meant to be based on honesty. Um, our third branch, Tikkun, um, takes a look at the systemic issues that do exist. So yes, there is dysfunction and abuse family by family that's out there. And there's also patterns within the larger community, within schools, uh, within certain elements of the community, like the shidduch system there, like the you know kala teaching system. There are ways that we can look at sort of bird's eye view of our community and find ways to run things in a healthier way. 
And so those are the three branches of Jew in the City, Keter, Makom, Tikkun. Um, we're doing something um, in the last few months with our Keter branch that is really groundbreaking. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. It's kind of almost like what I founded Jew in the City to do in the first place. And um, it's been almost 15 years to get here. And it's happening very quickly now that we're here, which almost feels scary or like surreal. How could we be doing this so much so fast? Um, but I have to remind myself that we were founded in 2007. And so um, we have a lot of years of work and sweat and blood and tears behind us. So if we're having um, some, you know, successes that are moving quickly now, um, we put our work and we put our time in before. Um, over the summer, um, when it was a bunch of negative Orthodox media events kind of all at once, first the pandemic came two years ago, um, and I thought that our nonprofit would not even have a purpose anymore. People would be dedicated to stopping this coronavirus. Two weeks into it, Unorthodox came out, and suddenly the world was glued to their TV, watching Netflix, and talking about how awful, awful it is to be an Orthodox Jew. Um Again, we touch these stories up close at Makom. We see these stories of dysfunction and abuse, but uh, you don't see an Orthodox being called a story of dysfunction or abuse, even though the family is quite dysfunctional. Um, you see this as Hasidic Jews that need to uh, have someone escape from them. Um, and that's really a problem when um, you know our community and dysfunction are shown as one and the same. Um, and so after that happened, um, I realized that the world could literally be ending and there will always be an appetite for people enjoying hating uh, religious Jews and, you know, just finding us disgusting. Um, so that came out. And then about a year later, almost exactly a year later, um, NBC aired this awful episode on their show called Nurses. Now, they didn't actually produce the episode. They licensed the content from a Canadian production company. Uh, the episode was made by Jews, of course. And it showed um, a Hasidic father and son that were um, just ignorant and bigoted. And they refused a bone graft from a non-Jew, even though um, we can take bone grafts from non-Jews and organizations from non-Jews. Um, they turned it into a thing against women, against Arabs. Um, are there anti-women and anti-Arab Orthodox Jews? Of course there are. But um, if we get one, you know, episode on your whole series, why do you have to, you know, highlight the worst of our community, the most bigoted people of our community? Um, and so we actually brought this episode to light um, to the point that it created a bit of a media firestorm. A day after I posted a clip on Twitter that I just filmed on my phone, the clip had a million views and NBC pulled the episode. Um, and so that was kind of an exciting point where we thought like, wow, the networks are maybe listening. We didn't know of a more formal mechanism. We were really just at that point stuck on Twitter. Um, but we had, we've been garnering a social media following over time. At this point, we are reaching over 1.1 million people per month. And across our various platforms, we have about 100,000 followers. And we only hired a marketing firm for the first time about six, seven months ago. All the following that we've had up until now um, has been organic. Plus, I have a famous friend, Mayim Bialik, who's been kind and generous enough to share content over the years. And that's certainly been a big boost. But really, everything else we've done um, has been organic uh, to get to this reach. Um, and so, but we did see a network acknowledge what we had done. And I don't think, uh, to my knowledge, there's ever been an instance where 
the network has removed an episode due to anti-Jewish content. We've seen that for other communities, other minority communities, um, but it's just the Jewish community wasn't part of this reckoning. And so that was really an exciting moment that happened. Um, being that we did not know how to talk to NVC a couple of weeks after this nurses event, we got some of our staff and volunteers together and we blew up images of some of the most awful Hasidic characters that exist on NBC shows. Uh, we made them into life-size cutouts. We went to 30 Rock with our masks on and because it was, you know, new coronavirus at that point still, uh, or still coronavirus at that point. Our masks said, uh, don't put words in my mouth. Um, and we basically came out to NBC to do an educational event, a live stream, ask me anything about my Orthodox life. We wanted the network to know that before you meet us and see our humanity, you won't be able to depict us with humanity. Um, and that was a great event. It was a great moment, but um, we didn't get to the networks yet. And then over the summer, Mind Orthodox Life came out and it was getting so confusing to do interviews because the people interviewing me were tripping up over, are we talking about unorthodox or my unorthodox life? It's like they just can't get enough of this ex-orthodox content that they have to just kind of keep making more and more of it. And now the names are getting confused. And at that point, it just felt like, come on, like we are 10% of a population that is 2% of the American community. And the number of people that leave orthodoxy is even a tiny number compared to that. We did an unscientific study over the summer of ex-religion stories, ex-Christian stories between Muslim and, sorry, um, Mormon and Amish. We found five. Ex-Muslim, we couldn't find any mainstream stories. Ex-Jewish, we found a dozen in the last 20 years. And what that means, we made a chart showing this. What that means is that if you have a dozen ex-Jewish stories compared to five ex-Christian stories, but your population is 66 times smaller than the Christian population, that chart, when you map it out, just looks crazy. It just looks like ex-Jewish stories are just through the roof, which they are. And it sort of gives this feeling that a religious Jewish life is a life to escape from, um, which is a really awful idea. How the heck are we supposed to be proud of who we are? How the heck are we supposed to uh, want to continue um, when the messaging that we're given constantly everywhere we look is our lives are only worthy of escape? Um, and I was feeling frustrated. Um, here we built up this great following, starting to get some you know, media attention. But really, um, watching the other minority communities move forward with more treatment where they were getting fair treatment, inclusive treatment, authentic treatment, and just we were being passed up. And over the summer, I happened to speak to someone who mentioned that there's this thing called the Muslim Pack uh, Bureau um, of Hollywood. And I looked it up and I see that the Muslim community has organized and they have relationships with all these networks and studios, and they are there to advocate for whole and human treatment for their community. Um, for them, the ongoing stereotype and trope was the Muslim terrorist. You will basically not see that character anymore. Um, and so I couldn't believe like here this whole time, everyone's telling us that Jews run Hollywood, Jews control Hollywood. And here the Muslim community has this great mechanism for making sure that they get to be human on screen. And us Jews are a bunch of cartoon characters and villains and people that need to escape who we are. Um, and I thought, well, gosh, 
how do you do that? How did they build that? What, what would it take for us to build that? And then one day, maybe like a month later, I was trying to tag MPAC Hollywood Bureau on Instagram. But when I started to write the words Hollywood Bureau, NAACP Hollywood Bureau came up. And then I thought to myself, wait, the black community has this too? At that point, I said, wait, maybe this is a thing. And so I Googled Asian community Hollywood representation, and I found an organization representing them. And then I came to realize, wait, I'm pretty sure every community, every minority community has some bureau that's been established um, to make sure that their depictions are authentic and fair and nuanced, except for the Jews. And the question is, why is that? So first of all, there is this notion of Jews running Hollywood, and it's a little bit complicated because Jews started Hollywood, but Jews certainly are not the majority of Hollywood. Um, we're, I'm sure, overrepresented compared to what our numbers you know, are at, from 2% of the population. At the same time, Jews in Hollywood rank as white. Jews in Hollywood rank as privileged. And so as writers' rooms are getting more diverse, and it's good, diversity is a good thing, Jews are not being considered in the diversity conversation. Jews are getting ranked as white. And so I'm speaking to TV writers who are telling me they're ending up in more and more writers' rooms where they're the only Jew there. And they're starting to sort of feel like a minority and they're not the ones that are in control. They're, they barely have any control as writers, at least. Um, and yet there's this idea sort of permeating Hollywood still that the Jews have the power and the Jews make the money. Um, and so that's kind of one thing. The other thing is sort of Jews being ranked as white or privileged. It's something we spoke about on this show. You know, are we a religion only? Are we a race? Are we ethnicity? Um, Jews who are non-Orthodox in many cases can blend. Jews who, um, you know, Jews come in all sorts of shapes and colors and that sort of a thing. And so um, there's not a specific Jewish look. There are people that may look stereotypically Jewish, you know, kind of an Ashkenazi um, example of what that might look like. And yet um, there are some people that look like that or that are not Jewish. Uh, there are some people that are Jewish that don't look like that. And so it's not always so clear. Jews change their names and continue to have changed names to blend in, to not be identifiable. And they change their names for the very reason, because being outwardly Jewish was problematic even in Hollywood. And so Jews um, have kind of had this status where um, we haven't felt like we could talk about this, that I think there's a lot of actually Jews in Hollywood, even non-Orthodox Jews that have been unhappy with the representation of non-Orthodox Jews even, and some unhappy with the representation of Orthodox Jews, but not really sure how to speak up, how to have a voice because sort of the, the powers that be or sort of the status quo tells them that they're white and privileged and uh, sort of don't have permission to speak up. And so the crazy thing is that we're finding all these Jews in positions of power that feel voiceless. Anyway, um, I got to thinking, what if we just start a JITC Hollywood Bureau, MPAC Hollywood Bureau, NAACP Hollywood Bureau? We have four letters too, JITC Hollywood Bureau. We are not insiders. We don't need jobs in that town. We can just continue advocating for the Jewish community like we've been doing for almost 15 years. And anyway, um, I started meeting the bureaus. Um, had a lovely meeting with the head of the MPAC Hollywood Bureau first. Um, she made intros to other bureau leaders. Each of them made intros to different types of executives. Um, and it was pretty amazing because 
I think a lot of times Jews walk around thinking they don't like us, they don't want us, everyone hates Jews. And on one hand, um, anti-Semitism seems to always exist in every time, in every place, in every political persuasion, they find a way to hate Jews. And so for us kind of having a chip on our shoulder that everyone hates Jews, I think in some ways um, it's uh, you know not unwarranted. On the other hand, if we said we wanted a seat at the table, but no one ever actually spoke up and said, hi, I'd like a seat. Should it, would it have been better if we automatically were considered in the minority considerations and automatically invited? Of course it would have been. But I think the thing is that um, sometimes some people go through life, their life um, with certain gripes or certain things they're unhappy about, and they just hold those complaints inside as opposed to speaking up for themselves, advocating, saying, um, I know that you're a good and decent person, but you may not have realized X, Y, Z. And I'm a big believer in using my voice, uh, speaking up. Um, you know, the thing is that as an Orthodox woman, um, media would tell me that I'm not empowered, that um, I'm oppressed. But the truth is that I've always had a voice and I've always tried to use it to stand up. Well, first for myself, if I'm not for me, who will be? Um, and then for others as well, if I'm only for myself, what am I? And so um, I think the most important thing is that while lots of Jews may have been unhappy with the status quo, um, it doesn't seem like anyone said much of anything. There was an amazing article over the summer by a features editor of Variety named Melina Saval, who did actually write about this topic of bad Jewish representation, stereotypical Jewish representation, but nothing within Hollywood changed after that. Sort of things continued. And I think it's because someone does need to be a starter to come out and say, well, we will do the thing that needs to be done. And so that's essentially what we've been doing. Um, nothing that we've ever done at Jew in the City has ever been because um, we have some special expertise. I mean, I got involved in this organization because I was told that I had a knack for explaining orthodox topics um, in a way that was meaningful to people, in a way that resonated. I had my own journey becoming orthodox, and I had to figure out a lot of different reasons for me to be keeping these different laws and mitzvot. And so as I developed reasons for myself, when I worked in different Jewish outreach organizations and I would explain those reasons to different people, people said it resonated with them. People told me along the way that I was very quote unquote normal and not what they'd expect an Orthodox woman to be. So I always saw that I had a knack for this sort of thing, but I don't have a degree in what I'm doing right now. There's not a specific type of training except for learning on the job. Um, and I didn't have any media training except watching a lot of television, which my father was not happy about when I was younger, but now it's really paying off now that I'm talking to all the TV people. Um, and so nothing that we've done, whether it was, you know, starting our YouTube videos, first one we filmed in like 2005 or six, um, getting on a blog, having a podcast, working with ex-Hasidic Jews, the advocacy work we do at Tikkun. Um, none of this was actually um, based on any like prior expertise. It was more just like um, if there's a desire to do something, then get up and start doing it. I really uh, relate to the idea of Nasev and Nishma, of you know, how the Jewish people accepted the Torah. First, we'll do and then we'll learn. It doesn't make any sense on face value to do something before you know how to do it, because how could you possibly do it? Except like that's exactly what we're doing. Um, it was really by meeting with all these bureaus and finding out how did you get founded? What programs do you run? What is that program, by the way? Um, I only found out that 
I'm in the DEI space now, the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, um, when someone wrote an email introducing me. Um, and that may seem ridiculous um, to people who are used to um, going to school. And, you know, obviously not all things should be done without a uh, set of education, like don't fly a plane, don't operate on someone's brain. There are certain things that obviously you do need strong education and practice before you do. But a lot of things in the entrepreneurial space and certainly in the nonprofit space, I think a lot of them is really just a will to change something and creativity and the desire to take risks and think outside the box. Um, and that's everything that our organization has always done and our amazing team has always done. Um, and the exciting thing is that as we started to meet with these bureaus and they started to introduce us to these executives and we've now met with, you know, all of the major networks, um, everyone has been so warm and they're really hearing us and they're realizing that the characters that they've done from our community are not okay, that they are cartoonish, that they are one dimensional, um, that making orthodox characters always have to leave uh, their way of life is problematic, and that we just want the same treatment, the same whole and human treatment that any other minority wants. If you look at shows like Jack Ryan on Prime, um, which has been worked on with Impact Hollywood Bureau, there's a Muslim character in the show who he's not a perfect guy, he's got some, you know. Sometimes he annoys people, and um, but he's he's one of the guys. You'd watch a football game with him, um, and then you know he's in the office and he goes off to the side to pray. And I remember watching this character and thinking, like, why can't someone from my community be shown like that? Why can't we be one of the people in the cast of characters that's not just the Jew that gets brought in for the Jew storyline and then leaves, but rather is like a person with depth, and you learn about who we are and see the pride we take in our our culture, in our rituals. Um, and we don't have to be perfect. No human being is perfect, but we should be able to be likable. And sometimes we should even be able to be heroic. Um, we saw the same thing with Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi is a little bit disorganized. He doesn't have his life together, the Marvel hero. But at the same time, you see Shang-Chi begin to lean into his Chinese culture, going from Shang to Shang-Chi, returning to his land, wearing his, you know, the garb of his land, doing the martial arts of his land. And he really is a bona fide hero by the end, um, even though at the beginning he's a little bit of a, you know, a scatterbrain, not all over the place. Um, watching how the Asian community saw that character and took so much pride, I thought great for them. But when can we get that? In Kanto, the Hispanic community, uh, the NILAF group uh, works very closely with uh, the Encanto people to make that beautiful story. Um, this is happening more and more. And the exciting thing is that this is now going to, please God, start happening for the Jewish community. Um, and so one of the programs or one of the, some of the uh, programs that these groups do, just to kind of give you an explanation, is they do uh, media impact studies. And so we are raising money right now to do a really vast and broad exhaustive study on how bad our depictions are in TV, movies, news media, and then show those different clips and clippings to the public and see how they respond when they see us in cartoonish and vilified ways. If anyone cares about anti-Semitism, this has to be front and center. If anyone cares about Jewish outreach and Jews feeling proud of who they are and seeing the beauty in their heritage, they've got to care about this. Uh, these groups also um, speak at media conferences where you need to pay to get a platform to speak. We plan to do that. 
They put consultants in the writer's room. Um, they do trainings. They do writer's labs where they put minority writers from their group in front of TV executives and help get them jobs so the rooms become more diverse. There's only a handful of orthodox writers in all of Hollywood right now, and we're relying on them. We're talking to them, but we'd like to develop more. Hollywood needs to recognize that we can't work seven days a week, and the month of Tishrei is not a very good month for work, and yet we're hoping in a time of more accommodations for different types of lifestyles, that the Jewish lifestyle will also be accommodated and they will also see the value in having Torah observant Jews in the room because we have a lot of value to add. Um, and the last thing they do are media awards. And we're actually having our first media awards. And I wanted to tell you about that if you are in the New York area. And even if you're not, if you want to support our media awards, at the media awards, they thank, they highlight TV shows, movies, books that have done a great job representing the community authentically. Now, we don't have a long list of uh, of productions to award. We're starting with one. We're hoping once we get started with this bureau in, uh, in earnest, we'll have more to award in future years. But we're starting with Rock Camp, the movie. I had David Fish off on the podcast several months ago. He's a sports and music agent, represented some of the biggest ball players. Uh, he represented Ringo Starr, toured with him for 15 years. And um, we're premiering his movie, Rock Camp, the movie, where he created this rock and roll fantasy camp and got some of the biggest rock stars out there to play with the fans, you know, to sort of make their dreams come true. And he was in the movie as an identifiable Orthodox Jew wearing a yarmulke, saying who he is, talking about his father being a Holocaust survivor. In fact, that's the only reason he agreed to be in the movie. It's on Prime and Apple TV, but it's never premiered in New York because of COVID. So we're doing that. Um, it's going to be March 21st at the Florence Gould Hall Theater, 59th and Madison. We have uh, tickets. Um, let's see. If you email us at info at jewinthecity.com, we can get you some info on tickets. We have It's an invite event, but we are keeping a small number open for our fans. So if you email us, info at jewinthecity.com, we will get you info about tickets for Monday, March 21st in New York City. It's the JITC Hollywood Bureau launch. It is our first media awards, and it is a premiere of Rock Camp, the movie. We've got some media coming to cover it, um, and we're we're really looking forward to sort of taking our seat, our rightful seat at the table, um, changing how the stories are told, and not only preventing the next train wreck, but hopefully filling those stories instead with characters and people from our community that we can see on the screen and feel just as proud as these other communities have been feeling as their representation has been getting better. Anyway, that is what is happening Monday, March 21st. Um, I'm a little bit busy uh, getting this together. It's a smaller theater than we've had in the past. Um, Florence Gold only has 360 seats. So if you would like a spot there, please do email us at info at jewinthecity.com. And if you can't make it, but you like the way this sounds and you want to help us prove to Hollywood, what a bad job they've done in depicting us, help contribute to our study, help contribute us to get platforms in these media conferences, which are pretty pricey. Um, please go over to our donate button on our site, jewinthecity.com um, and help support this. And, you know, whatever you can give, um, you know, anti-Semitism, there's different things that keep happening, different crises that keep happening in the world with COVID, with Ukraine. There's obviously a lot of great causes to give to right now. Anti-Semitism is an age old disease. Um, Jews, you know, feeling 
uh, ashamed or disconnected to their heritage is, uh, you know, also has <laughs> around for as long as there are Jews. Um, we believe that having proud Jewish characters leaning into their heritage on the screen could have an impact like we've never seen before. Um, and if you're a fan and listener of the show, we hope that you'll support us in one way or another. Thank you so much for listening. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.